This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine, and I'm coming at you from my hotel room in downtown Sacramento. Um, I, I mentioned last week that I'm going to be taking a mental health break for the month of April. I'll still be releasing episodes, but I just won't have as long as intros as I normally do, and I won't be posting on social media as often as I as I do. Uh, while I just kind of sit back and recharge the batteries, I have to take care of my mental health a little bit, deal with this depression stuff, allow myself to grieve properly uh, for my cat that died last month, and also take care of some health care issues that I just recently discovered. So I'm just taking a brief break during the month. I'll still release episodes every week, but they'll just kind of stand alone. It'll be just my interview and not my intros. So Stay with me. I'll be back uh, into full uh, functionality, I guess, in, in May. But until then, um, if you do try to hit me up via social media or email and I don't respond right away, it's just because I'm recharging, but I will get back to you. I'll, I'll be checking in on it every couple of days. It just won't be like a daily thing because I think I really do just need to separate myself from a lot of my activities while I do this. Catch up on past episodes if you haven't heard all of them yet. We have great material. This is episode 40. Uh, my guest today is named James Roberts, and he is from the Mindset Athlete Podcast. We have a great conversation. He's a really cool dude. I've talked to him a few times, and so I'm really happy to share this with you. And besides that, I'm just going to keep my intro short for now while, while I kind of get through my life a little bit. So uh, please help me welcome James Roberts to Militantly Mix, and I'll be back with you all in a couple of weeks. Bye, y'all. guest this week is actually somebody that I've spoken to before and we recorded a whole interview and that footage is gone along with the other people that I spoke to that week. I've talked about it a little bit before on previous shows about what happened. So we are getting a chance to speak again. My guest this week is James Roberts from the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Uh, James, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and let's get into it. Uh, thanks again for having me on and well, it's an unforeseen uh, circumstance, but obviously losing that data. Um, to kind of give a brief introduction to myself, my name is James Roberts. Uh, I'm a two-time Paralympian, uh, owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. I also, as, as the host mentioned, have my own show called The Mindset Athlete, which has undergone a rebrand in itself uh, since we last spoke. Uh, that was previously called the Mindset Game Podcast. And that's basically a little bit overview. But I was born and raised on a military installation in Belgium. So it's kind of given me uh, an upbringing of, I would say, a slightly little bit different from 
being back in the UK or being over, uh, well, in the US with my, well, my mother being British and my father being American. So my upbringing is maybe a little bit more empathetic, a little bit more multicultural, a little bit more of a understanding and compassion to others because you're kind of engrossed in a community that is very multicultural, as I said. Uh, speaking multiple languages, people being from different countries. So I think you never associate yourself as quote unquote being different. I think you're going to be around people of mixed race because of the nature of what the military beast that it is, because people are moving around on a three-year cycle, five-year cycle around the world so that they could be, I don't know, at one particular time in Asia, Europe, uh, station state side so I think that notion of being mixed race I probably I probably was around people of I won't say similar color but similar upbringings mm. and you kind of get on with it is everybody's I think compassionate of be it you white black yellow you could say green if you want to use the example <laughs> Of, of that kind of thing nobody looks at race in any particular depth that may be the case in say the UK at this particular moment or anywhere in the world would things be going call it hatred uh, with, with ter- terroristic ass acts going around but for me I never thought I'd confine myself to a box and or I never identified myself as being white or black growing up. Maybe maybe a little bit, but being brought up by uh, a single parent household where my mum is white, and mm-hmm. obviously her sister and grandmother as well had a big um, how do I word this a big impact on my upbringing mm-hmm. when I was growing up. I, I would maybe not associate it myself as black that much because as I put it right. well, as my mum put it you probably wouldn't survive in, in, a, in a ghetto in, in, in a black environment because you've to a certain extent have had the comforts of being so to speak middle class so you wouldn't you've not had to endure hardships of say somebody from that well you can't stereotypically say black but anybody that's been in that environment, I right. would be in an un, unfamiliar environment and probably I'm very uncomfortable because I'm not used to it. But I think the only attachment I probably had to the black culture growing up, be as a maybe young kid and a teenager, would probably be the music. So be it uh, Motown, uh, jazz, and, and things that my parents listened to. Right. I had an influential impact on on me growing up. So when I hear it, even to this day, well, I could probably say what the artist is, or I know what the actual tune is just by like a little snapshot at the very beginning. And I think as a teenager, obviously, hip hop, rap probably had an influence, and or still to this day, I don't listen to the same type of music, mm. but. That and 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 then the final point is probably my clothing. That that's probably the only three components I would have to associate to probably the black culture. 
a lot of the ways that you described things when we when we spoke previously in sort of this removal uh, a removal from blackness because of the white mother uh, the white british mother but still having this upbringing where you weren't necessarily othered by people because growing up on the military bases you were always surrounded by other mixed people like you and and I have that similar type of thing from the earlier parts of my childhood where we were military and we were always around other mixed folks and you said growing up in Belgium I think one one of the things you were talking about is the the impermanence of the friendships that you had you would you you know because people were on rotations you you know you never necessarily had like a core group of mixed folks that you were just around but you were just constantly around new people with new mixes and all that kind of stuff is that am i remembering that correctly yeah that's correct well i think it, i think it gives you a sense of having not not perception per se but you were very much uh inclined to take on different opinion because obviously having that cycle change so often you're not always going to get along with everybody's point of view so i think it very much brings you in a state of, could we call it adulthood, quite early on, mm-hmm. and you're probably empathetic to people's opinion. Okay, I don't agree with what you're saying. However, I'm gonna give you the respect that you deserve and listen to what you have to say. And I think maybe as well as having been brought up a, as a single child, my probably conversations at times were uh, among obviously my mother's friends being adults so my vocabulary was probably I don't know how old I would have been probably a little bit more advanced at times than other kids so I think I think one example was I had to probably rephrase what I'd said to a kid because he didn't understand I'm thinking <laughs> okay let me simplify it a little bit but but I guess from my mind it's like well to me it, it makes sense but I get—I don't know what I said, and I can't remember how it would have been, like I said. But it's like, okay, let me reframe it and, and put it in maybe a simpler context. And from that, and just being able to, I think, I think, I think the only similarities with people being on rotation. But I was obviously in Belgium for 19 years, so I didn't actually go on rotation. I, I think you are very open to welcoming new people in because they're in unfamiliar surroundings you want to make them as comfortable as possible as quickly as possible i know some some kids when they'd move there be it from stateside or or wherever uh where they'd come from and nationality wise kind of resented it at times but you speak to them be it when they leave go off to university or later on in their life as as we are now okay what well, am i in my 30s so it's been almost 15 years since I graduated high school, you talk to all, all my peers from school, they they demiss it. So I guess it's it, because it's that, you could call it like a difference in the environment. It's, it's so different from the mainstream, be it America, uh, the United Kingdom, but it's more accepting of others. They, they I think when you're, when you're there in the moment, you take it for granted, but when you leave, it's thinking, well, okay, it's on the one hand a perfect, perfect society, so to speak, but it accept, accept, it, it's more acknowledging and accepting people's differences, whereas I think 
society maybe as a whole isn't and they want and we discussed a little bit on on the previous episode in terms of i think you are either as oneself or as how you see it from how you have to conform you see yourself putting yourself into boxes so so i think with the likes of maybe i would say more specific probably the u.s if you are mixed race, you would probably be associated with the black community. Yeah, you and then would. You're shun- and then thus shunning one half of yourself, whereas I think it's maybe not the case in the UK, but I think that would depend where you are. But then you are not acknowledging who you are by doing that, and I think that's probably one bad thing of society because... yeah. I, I noticed that, especially here in the States, well, yes, definitely here in the States, what you present closest to, regardless of what your mix is, is what people have assigned for you. So in my case, I grew up primarily black and, you know, black neighborhoods, black family members surrounding me. And so my identification, I think of myself as black before anything else. And yet I present ambiguously Asian or Spanish looking, you know, my coloring is yellow, you know, kind of yellow looking. My features are, are more black looking. Um, so I identify myself as black, but white people wouldn't look at me as black. They would think I was Mexican or something like that, but black people identify me as black. And so when I'm around black people, I'm just black, even though I look the way that I look when I'm around white people, I'm Filipino or, or Spanish of some sort. And and that's that's just what it is. But in the UK, from from my limited experience of it being just a quarter um, and watching tons and tons of tons of uh, British television shows, I feel like they mention I feel like the white society ad- mentions mixed people more than I ever see here in the States where like they'll they'll be a black looking character and they'll say you're mixed race, right? In the show. Like, I'll notice that happens more um, from British television than I ever see here in the States. People don't people don't lead with um, you're sort of light skin. So are you mixed? That doesn't happen as often here in the States as I think it it seems to happen based off of British television. But I don't know why you put it down to that, because I don't. Well, well my, my experience would be limited. I'm just going off of yeah. like what shows what British shows actually come to the States yeah, I get to. That's what I'm consuming, and that's what I that's what I see in a lot of the um, more ambiguous presenting, racially ambiguous presenting characters that mm. I get to see that. Where that doesn't that never seems to happen here in the states. I usually have to tell people that I'm mixed versus people asking if I am. But that, and I ask you this question: And do you think that comes back to? Oh, to a certain extent, reparation and going back to 100 and 100 years with slavery, whereas you have to either fa- be one side of the fence, you're either white or you're black, and that notion that, okay, this, the, the, it's kind of controversial now, the slave owner will obviously go with one of his sl- slaves and you're going to have a mixed kid come that. So it's not, so to speak, a legitimate child. So is it right. because the black community can't to some extent forgive for what happened hundreds and hundreds of years uh, and and accept well okay there's still 
underlying racism there's always going to be prejudice and that, that that's irrelevant of color that'll be color that'll be race sexuality uh, disability and, and the list could be endless in terms of that and I, I, I think maybe do you think it's that undertone where the problem arises whereas maybe in europe where we'll use the uk as the example because it's a little bit easier to explain people from the the caribbean and other um, commonwealth countries were asked to come to the uk after the war to um well help with job because people were mm. killed during the war so that Mm. There was obviously racism at that time from what I've understood from watching documentaries, but it's been more accepted of maybe that inclusion. Right. Probably, I would say, in the 70s, um, maybe the 80s a little bit. But then my, you, you, when I talked to my parents about it, there was still prejudice and racism even in the 80s. Mm-hmm. before I was born. So I would say it probably got better as time has gone on. But that undertone of prejudice is still there, I think. Well, here in the States, the, uh, we we actually have a cultural phenomenon that I don't think existed um, in, in particular in England, maybe. I'm not I'm not sure about the, the wider portion of the UK. But here we have the, the concept of the one drop rule, which comes from slavery times and leading into G, uh, what we call the Jim Crow era, which is when it's post slavery, but it's when they're still putting restrictions on black people in the States. Um, and so there's a lot of rules that govern them in such a way that makes them basically slaves still. But during that time, they had the concept of the one drop rule, which means if you had even one drop of black blood in you, you were black, even if you presented white, um, you basically had to you had to claim black. And so so that idea, even though it's it's supposed to no longer be a thing, uh, it's so embedded in the culture that even someone that presents as as I do um like once I tell people that I'm I'm mixed with black, I become black for them, but not on, not in presentation for like white people or things like that. I have to tell them that. But once I have it, they're like, "Oh, great! Then you're black. I don't have to worry about you like claiming white, even though officially I'm half white." So like a biracial person, like if you were raised here versus uh, on the military base in in Belgium, you would only be black even if you're walking around next to your white mother. It, that would just be the thing you're just black here. And I, I think you did say you spent a little bit of time here in the States, right? Didn't you? Only, only for vacation. Oh, vacation. But then, but I think that's a bad thing for, for the, for be the, it doesn't have to be necessarily my case it would be my mother, but be, if it was your father, that's kind of a slap in the face. For yeah. Them. Like it's a race. Specifically the, the mother, because obviously they had them in, in your womb for what well, they had you or uh, you specifically for nine months, they've had to endure all those hardships and, and to not recognize that person because of the color of the skin, I think is quite disgusting. It is. And it's it's one of those things, especially for mixedness here in the, in the States. And I, I'm going to say mostly for 
biracial people probably than than people like me that are black, Asian, and white, or, or th three or more races that they can identify with. For biracial people here, you're 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 forced to choose whatever made you brown. That's what you are. Erase the white side. Never be accepted by the white side. Even even if you're raised by the white side, you know, like here, Halle Berry is half white and half black, raised by her white mother but she's considered the first black woman to get an Oscar. She's not considered the first biracial woman to get an Oscar. She's, she's not like culturally, she announces herself as black and then sort of as a side note mentions, she's got a white mother and it's, like here, here it is very much about erasing whiteness. And part of that, I think, does have to do with the throwback from slavery and the facts that there were so many people that, you know, were the product of, you know, a slave master or an overseer raping a slave, you know, that that uh, that history is so ugly that here in the States, white people do not like to per they basically like to pretend it didn't happen. But it's very much a part of American culture where it's er erasing the ugliness of our history and just saying, you know, well, at least you look black, so you just get to be black and, and, and that's your thing. Whereas, all, but also the complications here with blackness is it doesn't matter where you're from. You can be a black American, you can be from Africa, you can be from the Caribbean, but you're all the same kind of black. And so you'll find that people who emigrate here from the Caribbean or, or from different African countries will say like, no, 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 I'm not like them. I'm not like your black people. I'm a whole separate thing. And and for here, that does not matter. Where I don't know what the experience would be like in the UK, you know, from because it's not it's not like the British didn't have slaves there as well. So I don't know what part of the culture deals with the slavery past versus the immigration blackness. Like I don't get that exposure being over here. So I mean, I guess in I would, I would say they, they probably operate as one community. It doesn't matter. Okay, they're going to diverge like in sub subgroups as well, be it the Africans are going to probably separate from the people from the Caribbean and maybe the ones who have been brought up here. But I think at large, it's probably one community. It's still a black community because uh, when I was living in London, I, I very much, okay, the sport was the white side of me. <laughs> and then my, my social life was more on the... Are on within black society, but I think that was me probably trying to find an identity as well. Sport, you've been predominantly around white people all, all that your life. That actually amazes me. I'm sorry, I have to stop you for saying it because as an American, hearing the sport was the white side of you does not follow <laughs> for me here in the states because here all our best athletes are black. Well, I think I think I, I think maybe because predominantly well a massive proportion of the of, of the population are going to be predominantly wh white caucasians in europe yeah, yeah, so that's I guess only so. natural that that kind of environment i think i think the only differentiation between that was maybe when i was living in belgium and being very much in that military community okay uh, if we think of sports, okay, I didn't do it, but say high school basketball, your argument is very poignant. That's very true. I think mm. there's only a few white white kids. <laughs> uh, the American football team was probably a little bit of a mixture. Um, what else sports? Oh, well, I did swimming, so it would be heavily. Yeah, I guess that would be heavily, heavily white on more, our side. More heavily white. Uh, and then obviously with soccer, 
it's more of a European, it was a world game, but it was more European, but we did have a mixture. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, it was a few, few in, but those, the, the, the historically American sports, yes, that argument would be the case, whereas when probably minor, maybe less mainstream, so they're going to be more um, historically white. So that's probably why I identify from that perspective. Mm. Is Paralympians, uh, is that primarily, do you see more white folks in that arena as well? Um, that's actually a good question. Um, I've never thought about that in terms of, I think you, I think on, by large, probably yes, because they're going to come from, and this is maybe me generalizing a little bit now, uh, more affluent backgrounds. So that's, there's not going to be as as many barriers. Okay. The disability is obviously one. But being able to afford equipment and things like that. Okay, in the UK, that's not really a problem. Once you do make it and start getting on on, on the ladder, it, it becomes a little bit more e- easily to be done because you are not recompensed. But you, are you, you sponsored? Get, you, you get sponsored in a way, okay. whereas that wouldn't be the case by and large for most athletes in, in the US. So they'd have to find, another, uh, be it, some sort of sporting scholarship to go to university and then they could go mm. full time whereas for us in the UK I think it's the same in Canada and Australia we've got that support network behind us once you make it to at least development level you're going to get some sort of payment and obviously if you progress for the ladder it's a full, almost like a full time job so you're paid to do that and, and do that in itself so I think Probably to answer your question, the answer is probably yes. And by and large, it's probably a good proportion of being white. I don't know what the split would be. I'd probably say, to have a guess, maybe 70, 30. It might be a lot higher than that. Oh, let me ask if, if and this is just coming off the top of my head based off what you're saying. Um, being raised by your white mother and, and having your, your grandmother and aunt as, as sort of your family foundation do you feel that you spot people of color as quickly or do you like, do you feel very comfortable in white spaces or, and, and so therefore aren't really paying attention to people racially or, um, or if you're in a collection of people and you see Brown people, do you kind of gravitate more towards Brown folks in a room? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, I don't necessarily see color because I've probably gone through different stages of my life where I've probably hit back at not necessarily, not necessarily my mom. My mom's probably said, well, look at it from this perspective as opposed to uh, you are prejudiced because you're doing it the opposite way. You're being uh, a little bit racist the other way. It's like, well, yeah. And, I, and, I've, and I've, when I've reflected on that, she does have a good point. It's like, well, there is racism the other way. And she probably had to endure that uh, through her, her probably 20s and 30s being in, in that uh, military environment. And, well, probably with the music, she would probably associate with probably people from the Caribbean or, or from the US because of that. But then she probably got the, the, the prejudice from the black women because... Mm-hmm. of being around black men so so I think from to answer your question more specifically I think it would depend on the circumstance if I would gravitate I think the example that I used with London that's that's a fact that's probably the case mm-hmm. because it's like well I've 
predominantly been around white individuals or, or people that are not necessarily black, let me try and engross myself within this and see what it's actually like and see the other side and, and see. But I think more specifically, I don't necessarily see colour because it's like, I think the good example a colleague used in education, we're all, we're all, from a DNA perspective, we're all the same. It's just, we're different, different colour, but at mm -hmm. the, at the sub level, we're all human beings. That is the technical race. I think it's just because we've put a stereotype on it that we have to be different. Whereas at the root cause, we're, we're no different. doesn't matter if you're, uh, I think as Will, Will Smith put it, white, black or, or Asian, it, it's you, at the sub level, at DNA level, you are no different. It's just the complexion of your skin. And you could put that down to um, changes in well, not necessarily evolution, because that, I wouldn't say that's a it's more evolution like a change. It's, it's, it's adjusted to the climate, so you you can you can thrive, and that's it. So that argument that well, I think kids will say, well, you are a little bit prejudiced because you 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 are a little bit more towards the black side. Thinking, well, technically, if you go all the way back to the first human being, they came from Africa. So mm -hmm. this argument that um, we are different or technically we're not. We all came from one one first being and that person just happened to be, I think, sub-Saharan Africa. And they'd be probably, I think the complexion is is what you'd see in a mixed race person. So that's that should be the, the quote-unquote norm. And they were just different um, offcuts along the, that spectrum as to what colour is. So I, I think yeah. it's just it's just society trying to well, either put a limit limitation on you as an individual and kind of this is how far we want you to be able to get up the ladder based on where you've come from, your, your ethnicity. Whereas thinking, well, we shouldn't judge people by their their orientation, but by the, their or, that well, this is Martin Luther, the, the actual quote Martin Luther King that actually spring to mind by their by their actual core you know that their, their values their morals and their character, and that's what I think based people should base their predisposed judgment first and foremost. It's based on those three print three principles three four principles, mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, ideally we would hope that things like that happen. Unfortunately, because of all the different things, colonialism, terrible events in history, the way society treats us now and things like that, you know, we're not societally divided and then breaking it down even further because of different things that are assigned to people of different colors, you know, stereotypes and things like that. And we can't get away from it. Like here in the States, it's very uncomfortable to hear people um, talk about being colorblind here because here when people say um, that they're colorblind, they're basically erasing the aspects of people of color that marginalize us. So if a darker skinned person can't get a job just based off of the color of their skin and someone tries to say, oh, well, I don't see that you're a black person. I just, you know, but then they can't explain any other reason why that person who is fully qualified couldn't get that job. Then then that erasure doesn't make sense. You know, like it, it doesn't make sense to, to us here. And so it ends up it ends up being more of a problematic way of thinking here in the States because 
you're saying all the things that make it harder for me to to exist and maneuver our society you're telling me you're not seeing but yet I can't move up a rung in the ladder so what else is the problem and no one can ever explain it so it ends up being very uncomfortable here in the in the states to to be told that kind of thing but in the UK you know I like I said my my access is filtered now through primarily through media but when I was growing up just my one British grandmother being my source of it the way I understood from her like when she came here she still exhibits a kind of racism towards black people that is inexplicable to me like because she married a dark dark skinned black man and she had black children she would still put like gollywogs up in the house and she had all this like what is viewed here in the states as very racist art art you know like blackface mm-hmm. art and things and she she thought it beautiful and or funny or whatever and she she puts down dark-skinned people on a regular basis and she's she like is would be really excited that her her children came out it's very similarly complected to you like my dad has had a very similar complexion to you and she would be like it's like it's a good thing basically my whiteness calmed down your father's darkness and that you get to be beautiful because you're mixed and things like that and I know that's very specific to her but I don't know what in the culture created her you know like what made her be that type of woman I'd say oh it's trying to not generalize but I would say that's environmental factors would predispose your way of thinking because well, my understanding was that what Britain was a little bit more um, understanding of people of different races. Whereas you look at documentaries now, it's like, well, no, they weren't because <laughs> predominantly the population was probably almost 100% white and you've got people coming in from the Caribbean and Africa and people aren't used to seeing that. So I think it's, oh, it's, it's uncomfortable because it's not not it was well, not normal. I shouldn't really say that. It's it's a now become a different environment. But because probably the generation before was more disposed of that colonialism, you were going obviously to the Caribbean or Africa for trade or to take their resources. So you maybe thought of them as a let. Well, it's, it's probably a little bit high a lesser being, and right. obviously that's gonna filter down slowly but surely but then you get to a certain generation like ourselves where it's like well I don't identify like that I will push back I think I had a similar notion or argument when I was a teenager with my grandmother along the lines because I think she said to me I see you as white and I took offense to that oh we did talk about this before yeah because like well yes I'm I would probably on reflection now what is it almost 20 years later i would get your your argument from one perspective i've, I've been in heavily engrossed in that culture yes i'll give you that mm-hmm. but to um kind of not shy away but completely dismiss the other side of me because it doesn't suit so it's probably similar to what you were talking about with your grandmother it's that it's that ideology yes you you are in one sense white but then i was probably horrified and thinking well 
that dismisses the other side of me completely and I've got a problem with that. Right. Whereas I think maybe now I'm a little bit more rounded and I will probably adjust to whichever community I am. But I think, and I think this is probably a message to anybody, if you're happy in your own skin, that's first, it doesn't matter what colour you are, that should ma- that should be the, f- the, the primary source of... Um, well, happiness. If I'm happy in my skin, it doesn't. It. Oh, I, I know there's going to be prejudice, but I don't particularly. It, I'm not going to have this victim mentality mm-hmm. of being dictated to. Well, this is how you need to feel. It's like, well, if I'm happy to be mixed and kind of gravitate along that divided line, so to speak, and kind of dip my toe either side to suit me, as opposed to being dictated, you need to f- fall either side of it. I'd rather do that than kind of be unhappy and be dictated to. Yeah. Do you feel, let's kind of go back uh, to the the thing about your grandmother saying kind of viewing you as white at the time. And, you know, obviously you're a lot younger, so you might have been more combative or defensive about the idea of it. Did you feel that um, by erasing your, your blackness, knowing that when you walk around the world other people are going to see you as if if not mixed as black or something like that that um that she was a she was erasing any complications you might experience in the world based off of your presentation that's a hard one to answer i I think possibly maybe that well, she wasn't the she wasn't the best person to how would I say this? She could dish it out, you know, that kind of you could t- term it quite hateful um, type of speech. But okay, she probably didn't mean it harshly, but couldn't take when you gave criticism back. So thinking, yeah, my name I, was like that too. I I probably my mother is very much to, if you dish it out, you got to take it. Or I think I've learned that from my mother. It's like, well, if I'm going to dish out certain certain kind of characteristics, well, I sure as hell need to take it back. Yeah. So I think from that perspective, I think I was maybe about 14, 15. So I wasn't very happy. I was thinking, well, I think I stood on my two feet. Well, I'm going to have this argument because it's like you're dismissing it primarily based on probably your ideology, which I don't agree with. Whereas I think now... I think your argument is valid because there's going to be that predisposed judgment from somebody else, mm-hmm. either good or bad, it doesn't matter, that you are down to your complexion, you are from this particular race. Okay, the better people are going to obviously ask and want to be intrigued, are going to be intrigued by... Um, just because they're interested, whereas most people would be, well, you're either you're either this or that. So I think it doesn't matter. I think with me and mixed, you probably could be coined as um, Arabic Muslim, mm-hmm. which is maybe a little bit dangerous in this time because it's because of people's does ideology that, from that perspective. Does that happen to you more often, where someone may miss? code you or whatever as middle eastern or or have those Um, kinds of fears that are associated with stereotypes not necessarily i think i think the only time i've heard that described is when i've been on holiday in in that part of the world so Mm. i don't know if that's for them to be able to sell something and make you feel comfortable possibly uh, because after i heard it numerous times i was like yeah i've heard that before 
I'm not interested. Let me blank you and be as if I'm a local. Uh, but I think to answer your question more specifically, um, no, because mo- I think most of the time the people I associate with will see straight straight through that. It's it's not your colour, it's not your disability. We're going to base you on the person you are and your mo- it'd be your, like your morals that you've had been instilled in you and how you kind of act as a human being and okay I can't change who who I am from a a physical standpoint Mm -hmm. but I'm okay with that it's like if you've got um predisposed um stereotypes that you want to put on me okay I'm not gonna be put myself within a bubble and, and put myself as a victim that's your way of thinking, thought process. Be if it makes you happy um, to be able to put somebody within a box to kind of fit into your ideology. That's fine. Be it positive, negative, however way you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna. It's not gonna dwell upon me. I'm going to look at it from a different perspective and say. I don't conform within uh, a box. I'd rather show James as as I want to put it out to world, kind of a storytelling perspective, and do it from that perspective. And I'll kind of weave my way uh, through this box mentality that I use, and be oh, you could use the analogy of probably a river that's flowing. It's going to find its course. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna show the real me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like that, I'm okay with that because you can't please everybody. Yeah. I'd be very much like that as opposed to, well, you could call the victim mentality a little bit more of a negative way of thinking or well, everything is against me. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm probably more inclined to be a little bit more positive. It's like, well, if you don't like me for whatever reason that, that may be, I'm okay with that. I can't, be, I, I, I don't, I'm, I do have a little bit of um, personality traits of being like a people pleaser, whereas I think I need to step away from that at times and be oh. where you can't, you can't, you can't please every. And it, it it does change slightly by what I mean by people pleaser. Where whereas you're thinking, well, you, you can't do that. You, you there's not gonna everybody's not gonna like you mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and just accept that and just move on and and, and kind of go from that perspective. Does your people pleasing thing that you that you say you have come with the well i guess first let me ask do you have the the concept of code switching where you're from oh in terms of um like if you're talking to a black person who you know let's let's say let's just put it in stereotype terms you're talking to like a hood black person and so you can kind of you know talk with a little bit more swag or whatever there but then you switch over and now you're talking to like a white preppy kid and so you know you speak proper english and da 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 da, da but you can bounce between those two different types of codes depending on who you're speaking to do you do you guys have that concept I don't, over there i can't remember what that is from a psychological and i put it in a post not long ago um what's it called oh it's a kind of a sin it's a sin uh, imposter syndrome uh it would be another sense um i did say i used to because be able to go be able to communicate with a community a different community but i think in now as i've looked at it 
well, who, who, are you, who are you actually kidding? Probably yourself, really, because it's like, well, are you over here? Or are you I, over I think there? we're talking about two different things. Um, so here in the States, what we have, uh, you know, we talk about code switching as a thing because, and everybody does this sort of inherently, you, you depending on, sometimes it's racial code switching and sometimes it's environment, like a class or, or, or something. You know, I guess here's an example. In the workplace, if you work in an office, you're, you're not going to be, your regular, you know, let it all hang out type of self. You're going to be mm -hmm. professional behaving and da, 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 da. And then you clock out and you're, you're walking around the world and now you're just who you are. You can just kind of be comfortable and relax and say things that you may not necessarily say at work. Uh, racially though, cold switching could be like in my case, because I am mixed race and also raised in these multiple different cultures. I grew up in the hood, so when I'm around hood black people, my accent changes and my my physicality changes because that's more of the way I grew up. That's probably more the real me than maybe even the me that I'm presenting right now over over Skype. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Whereas, like, I've trained myself to use this accent and this manner because it's, I guess, considered more professional, and and so I could you know speak at work without like revealing my upbringing right and so here at work i'm gonna behave this way and then when i'm with my friends i'm gonna behave this way but if i'm around japanese people because i did spend you know most of my life kind of switching between my dad's black family and my mom's japanese family if i'm if i'm in front of older japanese people i physically hunch over I speak in a very deferential tone and it doesn't matter if they're family or not. It just happens. If I'm in the Japanese grocery store down the street, I start to use sort of a Japanese intonation, not necessarily change my accent, but like an intonation, a cadence uh, when I speak to them. But then I'll turn around and I'm talking to my husband and I'm back to talking like I'm talking right now. Uh, so that's code switching. And it's something that we talk about here a lot in the States, but uh, it can be used negatively or, or just as a, uh, defense mechanism because of the environment that you've you're in now you have to maybe hide your upbringing because so that you can I guess kind of grow or or whatever in the workplace or, or you know whatever the different things is so I guess the what I'm asking for you is if you're if you're in an environment where you're primarily around white people um, and since you were raised white you know around more white people and everything like that do you have sort of a James voice or tone or behavior that is sort of how you behave around white people, but when you're around primarily black people or other brown people, whether or not they're black, do you have a different James tone <laughs> when you're talking to those folks? I think the only example I could use is maybe when I was in high school, but that would be accent-wise, um, be how I speak now, I would do this more predominantly around adults. But when I was talking to kids, and when did I stop doing that? Um, I would use more of an American accent. I don't know why I did it. Oh, really? But I stopped doing that, I think, my junior year, or maybe even senior year. And people said, oh, what 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 happened to your accent? Why has it changed? Or how I normally speak. But to, to kind of say, do I do it from specifically being in, in a white environment as opposed to a black environment? No, I want really. to. This is this our this our upper. I think I think because due to the nature of who I am personality wise, I'm quite laid back. So it, it doesn't. It's the no. It 
it's to some extent it's normal. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna operate the same way over here as I would over there. Mm-hmm. It's I I want I want to be comfortable to some degree being me. I think maybe in the workplace I might differ slightly, but not how I speak. Maybe how I dress a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. little it, it might it might differ, but that's because. There's certain Those parameters in the workplace, yeah. so it's, it's. I think I've maybe I'll bring that. I I'll bring that across anyway because I don't mind. Uh, you call you could call it dressing up, but I don't mind doing it. Um, but not recognizing the black side of me, I don't do because it'd be a certain way of how I dress would be how I'm comfortable is so it's probably like a mishmash I know I don't dress like I did as a teenager mm-hmm. be baggy clothes and, and things like that but but that's because that's not that's not so necessarily in fashion anymore. yeah <laughs> so it's so it's I won't I've still got some of those clothes I'm probably very very lucky because I got them when I was younger they, they, they fit they actually probably fit now because <laughs> uh, it's been sizes too big but I think that would be <laughs> Uh, from that that argument in terms of changing who I am specifically to what environment I, d- I don't think so somebody else might disagree with what I'm saying mm. and say well you do a little bit but I wouldn't necess- necessarily not say that because okay sporting wise I do basketball you could say that's predominantly a, a black sport especially in the US uh, so that's me in my comfort zone, so I can wear. Well, that would be baggy, baggy-ish clothing, yeah, but. That's really cool. I, I, but then, but then, the man mannerisms-wise, no, I would say. I I probably it's probably like a little bit of a, a mishmash. It would it would it would d- depend, but I think on a. Continual state. I think I, I'm I'm content of being me. I'd rather show you the real me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like that, that's fine, and go and go about my business from that perspective, because I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't feel comfortable in myself to play up to a specific ter- stereotype because you want me to. Mm-hmm. I might do it a little bit, but that's maybe because I'm trying to get a, a little bit and un- maybe under your skin a little bit mm-hmm. from that perspective. But I think I will be me. And that's it. And and, 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 I, and go from that perspective. I asked the question only because I was curious if maybe the people pleasing aspect of you would would have you be sort of performative in different environments. But if if you don't think that you're natu- you naturally do that, I wonder what else what else would be the p- people pleasing side of you, just in general likability. I think it, I think it's trying to. <sighs> It is associated to like perfectionism. You you're trying to make things perfect, so you want to everybody to how would I word it like you for from that perspective. Where yeah. so I think that's where it doesn't go well because it's like well nothing can be hundred percent perfect. You can't please everybody. Somebody's gonna dislike it for whatever re whatever you do for, for whatever reason. So you need to take maybe take a step back and if you're content with whatever it is what you're doing you feel happy the only people really that 
you need to take probably whole higher criticism from is either you've asked for it or probably your nearest and dearest yeah. because they've got your um, best intentions at heart and, 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 and everybody else on the periphery, so to speak, is, I won't say irrelevant because that's probably too strong a word, but <laughs> their, their opinion shouldn't dictate what you do yeah. from the perspective obviously if you you ask for their opinion that's to generally make something better so that one you need to take yeah put your ego aside and say well i did ask for it i need to take it on board and 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 go forward with it whereas if i didn't ask for it do i believe in what they've said the answer is obviously yes you might want to look at yourself and say (laughs) why do you think that way uh, is it something that you've learned or if you've said it over and over again, you start believing it? Whereas on the contrary, if you don't agree with it at all, well, you can kind of brush it aside to one side. Well, that's what somebody else thinks. I don't agree with it. Oh, well, we move on. Do You you said that when you were younger, you used to pull an American accent in, in times. Did, were you doing that naturally? Was it just coming or were you doing that intentionally? Do you remember? I think it came naturally, but I think uh, originally when I did it, it was, you could say an act, Mm -hmm. but because I am half American, it's technically not an act. It's, it's, I think that's where I think maybe because of how I talk now, people wouldn't necessarily uh, know that I'm half American. So some of my mannerisms or how I speak from a slang perspective, people in the the UK don't get, because I think do I use I'll say instead of I'm okay I'll, I'll put I'm not bad whereas it's very it's an American um, expression right whereas everything is okay so there'll be not all not everybody but I guess it's because it's maybe coming up in popular culture more and more with mm-hmm. television they, they kind of get well okay means yeah I'm okay where some people say well what's wrong no I didn't mean it from that perspective <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing right wrong. it's funny because I I do I do do this and it's not it's not intentional so it is just like that inherent code switching I think that happens is because I was raised for part of my early childhood with my British grandmother and also with my Japanese grandmother I'd kind of go back and forth between I when I was first in school I spoke like a broken Japanese English with a British accent so no one could understand me and they put me in ESL classes to straighten me out because they didn't they couldn't tell that I was speaking English and so now when I am it's an actual effort for me not to go into a British accent if I'm speaking to a Brit because I've slipped into it accidentally before and then I get called out on it like I'm like I'm making fun mm-hmm. but it's just because I had that I have an ear for it because I grew up listening to a woman with that accent and when you're like between zero and five you're that's when you develop you know like your ear for language and, and all that kind of stuff and so I, I catch I do catch it on occasion and there's times when I, I have a, a cadence that is similar to my Nana and so there are times when I'm called out by a British person asking did I have I lived in Britain or something like that because of my cadence or same like you said a usage of of slang or phrases that aren't necessarily American phrases and now that we have Netflix and we have more access to British TV people will say do you watch a lot of British TV or something because that must have come from somewhere where it may have just actually come from my nan and so i'm wondering like you being the flip of me where you grew up there if you pull 
the American side just because you have an ear for it because you heard it growing up and then and then does it just come naturally or do you have to actually make the physical effort because now I actually would have to make an effort to pull the accent but occasionally if I hear someone and I'm not being guarded about it I'll just sort of slip into it and get and I, I waits until someone tells me you're doing it and I'm like oops sorry I didn't mean to do that you know <laughs> like it just mm -hmm. happens so I was wondering if that if that happens for you or if you were actually performing it I think it would be I think now it would be definitely a performance it'd be me putting on not necessarily an act but it would be me intentionally changing the accent because I chose to do it whereas I'm not I won't say I'm not comfortable with doing that I, w I would say I don't want to do it because I'm content with this is how I sound this is how you sound yeah and and that, that, I'm I'm okay with that. Let's before we go. I mean, we we're getting closer to the end, but before we go, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, as intersectional people, just by mixed race and multicultural, we already tend to to have the ability, or I think you kind of said earlier too, like the empathy for people. We sort of naturally, I think, have maybe maybe not more empathy, but we we tend to be more empathetic to people that are different from us because we are used to being considered different from others on a regular basis but since you're also maneuvering through the well are you actively in the Paralympian community now or or it was a I've, co I've come down a, a, a one tier but I'm still heavily involved you're in disability involved? sport so from in... that perspective that's another kind of cross-section and, and being put um, not aside but being judged to be outside of the, the norms right. do you when you're in those spaces are you I guess and so this I guess this goes again to the sort of way that we can shift who we are in a moment you know if I'm maneuvering in a black space I I fit because of my upbringing if i'm a maneuver in a white space i'm less comfortable because even though i'm half white i wasn't raised around white people so i'm slight i'm slightly less comfortable in those type of spaces or whatever and then i'm also in the lgbt community so depending on if i'm in a primarily straight space or a primarily gay space i have totally other issues going on there in your case when you're in that environment do you feel marginalized extra marginalized because of your your multiracial and multiculturalness and the disability community or does it just become a wash and it's just like this is this is the focus of this environment right now when you're in those type of spaces i would say it comes a wash I, I i think it's very i think that's a very empathetic community as well because mm -hmm. they you kind of put the the, the impairment aside and you base people on their ability within the sport. Don't matter what what where they, what their upbringing is. It's it's what can you bring to the table, so to speak. So I think, and that, that's probably the argument for sport in general, uh, mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Uh, there's still going to be racial undertones, probably in, in other other things. But I think within disability sport, because there's been that notion of adversity, be it through traumatic experience or through um, disability from birth everybody's been there and has been had that mom moment of struggle well we all not forget it but put it to one side and let's enjoy this commonality and enjoy the sport for what it is and, and look at that so i don't i i would say there may be be there may be people that do judge you based mm -hmm. on your um differences 
but by and large, the, the, the environment that I'm in, maybe because it's more positive and there isn't any no- notion of toxicity within it, mm-hmm. that's maybe why that, that's the case. And that's maybe why I'm content where, where I am within the sport, because it is very positive, uh, very positive mindset orientated. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe if it wasn't, I would maybe want to steer clear of it. Right. Do you feel so? So like in my case, the the way I feel and, and it has more to do with environment and, and everything like that is that I'm kind of hierarchical in all of my intersections. I'm mixed race first. And even within my mixed raceness, I'm black first and then Japanese and then British, uh, Caucasian British. And then in my next line down, that's when I am bisexual polyamorous, which is sort of a hyphenate for me. And, and so, and then I also happen to be married to a man. So I have this whole other issue of being in a heterosexual relationship, but bisexual and polyamorous and orientation. Um, and then below that I'm, I'm an atheist. So like, this is like, I feel hierarchical, like first my mm-hmm. race determines my experience and then my sexuality and then my lifestyle and then my belief system. And that's sort of, and then below that is when I kind of put that I'm a woman. Uh, So I feel like even all of my other issues happen before my woman issues type of thing come in. But I speak to a lot of people on the show and they're not necessarily as hierarchically broken out as I am. Um, But my, my family culture and my environment kind of dictates that this is how this is why I identify the way that I do. In in your case, do you, how do you feel? Do you, like, do you feel that just everything, like you're just a whole package, a whole James package, and these are the things that are in your intersections? Or do you feel that there is something that dominates how you maneuver through the world versus just, like, I, I guess I get the sense from our conversation that everything that you have going on, you're just one whole James. And with me, everything I have going on, I'm mixed race Charmaine, and then I'm bisexual Charmaine, and then I'm, you know, like, I, I have compartments. Do you do you have a compartmentalized life? Or do you are you just just sort of nothing really dick, no, nothing overshadows any of the other things that you got going on? I want to say I used to. I, I think I would probably say it was. It used to be compartmentalized because I would identify with being when I was speaking to say somebody from disability community. I'd be over here. Say talking to somebody white, I'd be over there. Whereas now, I think I kind of intermarched them, and I was like, well, you you will see the real me. I'll show you everything. I'm not gonna hide away and say you can only see bits of this. You can see all of it. And take me as for who I am, and, and you don't like if you don't like it, that's fine. If you do, hey, that's 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 good as well. But I think maybe I probably term it as less so compartmentalizing and put it from. Um, I'd probably look at it from its lifestyle first, but that would revolve around everything. It's that's who I am. So be it the sport, the race, uh, the disability, and it all comes under one, and that's my lifestyle. So I think it's probably a mishmash of the two on reflection. Mm-hmm. And and what motivates, I guess the reason why I asked this question is because I'm getting into sort of the representation, like the reason why you and I are doing these podcasts that we do. For me, I'm more motivated by my racial and cultural situations. And so I, I put together Militantly Mixed based off of my own need to feel represented in media as a mixed race person um, and connect with other mixed race people and share what, you know, what we have that is similar and also learn about what does 
what is different from us. And that's important for me because I felt, I feel a lack of it in the world. And I want to create a space that allows me to create that community really purely selfish reasons. I want the community for myself and therefore I've created a show that's going to help me create that community. So I have access to mixed people. In your case with your show, what was your motivation to create it? And, and is there a, something about, about the representation that is maybe lacking in media that motivates your show? And what you do for your show? Um, I would say so because I'm speaking to more and more people as I was going through the rebrand. Uh, I got the sense that the facets of looking at the mind from a specific sense of an athlete wasn't actually being touched upon, uh, and and that was actually more so in the United States, which I was a bit shocked about because uh, I think the the example that the person used was more so baseball specifically because they're going straight from high school to the pros or or if they're not, they're going to the minor leagues and they don't have access to it. I'm thinking, mm. I'm shocked by that because you're thinking, oh, maybe because I won't watch, I have watched baseball in the past, but it's not the most exciting sport. From, from the perspective <laughs> of, say, American football and basketball, where they do use psychology probably more so, or the coaches will be heavily engrossed right. and doing it from whatever facet that may be as a motivational inspirational kind of tool at the end of the day it's still working with the mind those two sports the athletes will be to some extent either consciously or unconsciously not aware of it because when you use the the adage of oh and this has done done the rounds more recently on social media of when a journalist will ask an athlete were you ever nervous in that particular moment an athlete will never answer yes it'll be i would say I was excited for that moment. Uh, it was a lifelong dream fulfilled and things like that. It's it's the journalist putting across his sense of beliefs mm. into the question because if they were put into that realm and had to do it themselves, they would be nervous, fearful, uh, and doubt their ability because they haven't done all the, the skill requisite what's the goal before it, whereas... Then this is probably why I am comfortable and in control in that environment because I've done it for so long. Mm -hmm. It's second nature. A lot of those um, cognitive thought processes that I have to make, I've done them thousands and thousands. Okay, the sport may not be the same, mm -hmm. but a lot of the decision making I've had to do, I've done since I was, I don't know, the earliest, say eight years old, 25 years. So I think. Putting somebody in an uncomfortable environment that they're not used to, yes, they're going to feel that way inclined. Right. Whereas with an athlete, you're not. So to, to kind of come to my point with coming up with the show, it's giving people um, and athletes, not more specifically, but everybody who wants to improve their fitness, give them an undertone of looking at it from a mental perspective as opposed to, if we use the example of the fitness industry, of want, just wanting to change the aesthetical appearance, be it from a training perspective or a nutritional one. Let's go deeper than that and try and make habitual and behavior changes. And then we're not getting you going around in this vicious circle where you're going from fad diet to fad diet, always changing, always questioning things. We get you to, to what is your core belief as to why you want to change it. That's the reason why you want to change none of this bs that i want a six pack uh i want uh, a swimsuit body for the summer 
fit in a black dress for the, maybe in the winter months and get away from that ideology uh, completely. Okay, for some people, that's probably the, that is going to be their core belief, and 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 that's fine. But then for the majority of the population, that's not the case. We need to delve deeper and to find the real reason why you want to change things and look at it from that perspective. And it's the same It's the same with an athlete. There's going to be an undertone for why you necessarily want to co-op that, um, the stepping stones in sports. There's, there's an under, there's an under, there's a undercurrent that, that you want to do that. And I think maybe the higher the athlete goes, uh, be it the, the example I'll use, Antonio Brown, he's gone so far the other way from what his reason for getting into the NFL was, as he could, he could probably do with looking himself in the mirror. It's like you are so heavily engrossed within you know the monetary sense of it, you've forgotten why you had that work ethic at the very beginning. So I think those are individuals... You, you need to maybe take a step back at times and reflect and recharge and, and go again and look to reframe your goals every so often to keep moving forward. Hmm. So, you, so you were seeing a lack of the focus on, on sort of the mental conditioning and preparation for an athlete as part of your motivation to to do what you do or it's just the part that you like i would say i would say it it gives a little bit of sense it gives background kind of behind the scenes as why why do people do certain things and give people a little bit of a helping hand up and that that sense of what i've echoed probably throughout this episode is looking at things from a positive perspective and being around those kind of people, things are a lot easier to do because when you are happy, you're more likely to do something than when you're unhappy you, you, and you're not looking to find reasons of being a scapegoat, so to speak, and, and kind of shine away from problems. You're going to try and, well, this is a pro- problem. How do I find a solution? How do I come up with uh, finding um, a, a cause to actually to solve it and, and doing it from that perspective? And kind of, it's probably built on me by and large. It's it's giving uh, access to people in the gra- greater, well, we'll call it the world as opposed to the greater community, an in-depth view onto me. And you get to see how different facets of my life have, have made me who I am, be it from uh, the disability, the race, um, the sport, the academia, and things like that, all mishmash to make me who I am and being able to go into my community communities and network and to be able to for people to maximize their actual human endeavors I would say so to speak and and be able to maximize who they are as a person being whatever facet that may be because what I found this quote the other day everybody at the core level is an athlete at heart it don't, you don't necessarily have to be, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, you don't necessarily have to be a professional, a master of your craft to want to improve. Everybody, mm. in a sense, uh, will put it from the spe- pers- perspective of enjoyment and of love. If you love to do something, you're going to want to continue on it with that. It doesn't matter if that's training, uh, your nutrition, your, we'll call it meditation as opposed to mindset. You'll want to do, if, if you've got an inclination to want to improve on it, you will find a way. So I think that notion of being an athlete, you're always striving to be the best person that you can be, I think is a building block everybody could utilize and kind of 
throw away those stereotypes of, well, you need to be a master of your craft and be at the top of your game. Well, how did that individual get to there? They obviously grinded away bit by bit, improved each day as it came and got to the top of that pyramid. So I think that would be the ethos I would use. Mm, that's cool. What do you love the most about being mixed? Oh God, that's an amazing question. <laughs> uh, what do I like about it? I think it's it's the it's the best of both worlds, really, because you you are able to like we've emphasised all along is that empathetic view that you are compassionate to other people because you, so to speak, are marginalized to a certain extent and kind of put on the periphery because in one sense, you don't conform to either side of the lines, be white, black, Asian, whatever your complexity uh, and mixture is. But that's what I like about it. It's we, we don't necessarily have to be the same and have this sheep mentality that we have to follow the herd. Mm-hmm. What's what's wrong with being different? It's 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 it goes under the root to the cause. I think uh, I'm happy with my skin. This is who I am, and go from that. It's I'm I'm quite happy being unconventionally well for where I live in in, in Wales. I I, I don't I, well, you could say I stand out like a sore thumb, but I'm quite, I'm okay with being different. It's it's you know you know who I am coming so so from that that perspective be from the disability and and the race I, I I love it so I think I think I've answered your question but yeah no I think that I think that's great I mean one thing that I think has become clear over the the whole arc of this show so far has been that we do seem to lead with empathy as mixed race people partly because we do have access to multiple cultures and multiple races and and we understand the complexities of multiple cultures and races and it just opens us up to be able to understand that what others us that we have the same experience even if what others us is different so i enjoy that and thank you so much for coming back to the show i know at this point we've probably spoke i think we had like we've done like three times because i did my pre-screen with you before we actually even did the straight straight out recording last time so thank you so much for coming back with me and being patient with our our schedule differences and everything like that why don't you tell everybody how to find your show and find you on social media uh you can find my show on what do you call it now apple Podcasts, spotify uh stitcher and anywhere that you listen to a podcast if you just type in the mindset athlete and i know some of them are gonna have to tweak at the moment so i'm just in the process if it, if you have any problems finding them on other than obviously itunes and apple Podcasts, do let me know or charmaine know uh because uh, i know there's been some trouble with it changing over so i'm just in the process of getting that finished if it doesn't work obviously do put the mindset game and you should be able to find it so it's it, so i think one or the other you should find that the, the show because obviously the precursor is was the mindset game podcast so if you do one of those two, you'll find it. And then to find me on social media, it is, well, all of them, be it Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, am I forgetting one, are all the same. It's at James O. Roberts 11, and that's how you can find me on social media. All right. Well, thank you again so much for, for coming back, and we will put all your social media things and everything in the in the show notes and... That's it. We're done. Thank you. It's been my pleasure.
Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.